Yeah, that's working. Okay, so I messed it up last week, so I'm trying to uh, make sure I get it right this week, that kind of thing. Um, so we're starting to transition to the next phase of our study. So the first phase was how do we listen well to ourselves and ask good questions of ourselves and understand ourselves, the what's really going on part of ourselves, not the up here that we see and feel and experience part of ourselves. Uh, so we're transitioning now to filtering. What do we do as we begin to discover problematic things in our thinking and problematic things coming up within our lives? How do we handle that? How do we respond? Um, and then also when we hear something from our friends and we hear words coming out of our friends, how, how do we respond? How do we filter that with the gospel to know what is good and what is not good, what is true and what is false, what is gospel, and is what is something that's different than the gospel? Because uh, I think we're really good at gospel and Christianese, so that we have good Christian words and good Christian platitudes and good Christian laws that are true and right, maybe even biblical. Um, but we have a way of, of um, kind of talking that, that out and, and missing it. And so that's what we've been trying to discern. Now, now we're trying to filter it that way. We're trying to filter to see what's gospel, what's not gospel, and then transitioning eventually to what then do we say, which is the last phase. And so this is the first part of filtering. It is taking every thought captive. As you can see, this is uh, kind of the bones of it are built off of a chapter in Gospel Fluency by Jeff Vanderstelt. And, and so I want to just walk through a four-phase process to filter your thoughts, to filter the words of your friends and people you care about and people you're, you're investing in, as well as uh, them doing that for you. Uh, let's do some verses first. So 2 Corinthians 10, 4, and 5. Okay. And Romans 12, 1 and 2. Perry. Uh, Ephesians 4, 20 through 23. Get that? Uh, Galatians 5, 16 through 24. All right. They all jumped on the, on the short ones, and then, you know, it gets a little bit of length, and all of a sudden, uh, okay. And then last one, John 16, 12 through 15. Okay, great. All right, so let's start this one out, and this is kind of the framework verse for what we're using. Yep, second Corinthians. For the awesome. So, like it or not, we are in a warfare. Now, that warfare does not mean there's a demon behind every bush and you should start naming things and, and all of this kind of weird stuff. That warfare means that there is an enemy operating in the world, there is a world system operating in the world, and there's a flesh operating inside of us, and all of those hate God. All of those are enemies of God. All of those are at war with a life of God glorifying, honoring the Lord, showing what the Lord is like, um, living in relationship of intimacy and abiding with the Lord. Everything is against it. Um, and so, but we have weapons, and those weapons aren't physical, just like our enemies aren't physical. Right? They're mighty in God. So the, the problem is there are all kinds of things that want to exalt themselves to the place of God. Right? They want to lift themselves high and bring God low. And so there's ideas, there's arguments, there's speculations that want to be lofty. They want to be above God. And so what is the way we fight that in our own selves? Right? We take every thought captive and bring those thoughts into the obedience, into submission to Jesus Christ. And so that's 
kind of the goal of what we're trying to walk through in this process is how do I grab hold of my thoughts so that they're captured and then put my thoughts underneath the lordship of Christ, put the things that would elevate themselves above God and be lofty to under God to where they're in submission to him. Uh, okay, the next verse. amazing set of verses I'm going to boil it down to two words worship offer yourselves as living sacrifices that is acceptable reasonable it only makes sense in light of the gospel worship and then transformed by a renewed mind so I've got renewed worship I'm offered to God that's my worshipful service and that leads into a renewed mind a renewed thought life that flows out of that renewed heart that then leads to obviously the will of God from there okay um, Ephesians awesome so here's the theme right? you met Christ that killed your old man and replaced it with a new man that looks like Jesus and then you live that out in part through a continual process of renewing the mind. Um, okay, and Galatians. Might be. <laughs> There's a me way of life that results in envies and jealousies and all kinds of things like worry, anger, lust, and a lot of stuff that goes with that. And then there's a spirit way of life. And a spirit way of life sounds a lot more like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. And so we can tell by the product of our lives what we've talked about in the past is what kind of life is our heart growing. Right? We can tell by the product of our life, am I walking in the Spirit, becoming more like Jesus, or am I walking in me and becoming like me? So when my thoughts come into the real world of actions and words and, and you know, dwelling on things, what's showing up? Right? And so that's kind of what we're looking at in Galatians. And then the last one, uh, John 16.
God hasn't left us alone in this process. Jesus said as much as they could handle while he was on earth. He then sent his spirit to inspire this book by the apostles that you now hold in your hands. Uh, And that book, the Holy Spirit uses to point to the glory of Jesus, to bring us in the truths of Jesus, um, to bring us into the gospel. And so we need the Holy Spirit to turn us from the way we think and worship to the way the Spirit would teach us to glorify Jesus, to see Jesus, to point to Jesus, and then to live more like Jesus. And so God has put the Holy Spirit in us, made us temples of his, and that part of the Spirit's job is then to rewire our hearts, to rewire our minds, so that what comes out of our life looks more like him and ultimately looks more like Jesus. And so uh, let's walk through this process. First, take uh, every thought captive and examine them. So take your thoughts captive and examine them. We're going to walk through Psalm 131 uh, piece by piece. So in Psalm 131, there's a psalm and an anti-psalm. Sometimes, not always, it is valuable to look at the anti-psalm, meaning what would be the condition of someone that would require this psalm to happen. So in Psalm 131, my, uh, my heart is not proud or my eyes haughty, neither do I concern myself with things too great for me and too marvelous for me. So what would require somebody to, to say, I am not proud, my eyes don't look down on people, and I, I, I don't worry about the things that are too big for me? Well, it would probably be somebody that is proud. Now, pride says, I'm the center stage of my life. I'm the center stage of the world. It's about me. And so I am proud. Everything's about me. And so I worry because I'm not good at keeping up with things. I get angry because people cross me. I worry because things aren't going the way I want them to. I feel really great because everybody acknowledges my rule and reign in the world. Uh, I worry because as I try to control the world and make it do what I want, it doesn't do what I want, or it does do what I want, but then there's more and more I have to control, and it just becomes overwhelming. And so I'm very proud. The world's about me, and the world being about me means I have to look down on you. I'm not doing so hot compared to Jesus, but I'm sure doing great compared to some of you people. So I can feel pretty good about me by looking down on you, uh, and the world's all about me anyways. And then on top of that, I want to control the uncontrollable. I am concerned with things too marvelous for me. I'm concerned with things too great for me. I've got to control what is uncontrollable. So that that is the thought life, the behavior life of someone that needed Psalm 131. The world's about me. I have a tendency to look down on others or use others or manipulate others for my purposes because it's about me after all, which means since it's my world, I've got to control it and I've got to keep it spinning and I've got to keep it going the right way. So we want to take our thoughts like that captive. We want to take our thoughts of pride and worry and, and, and lust and desire and uh, all these things. We want to take it captive. So how do we do that? Well, the word captive is like the word to capture something, right? So it's like, think of a, a wild animal on the loose. And, you know, uh, what was it? Yeah, I just read a story this past week, and uh, some kind of like crazy, ferocious animal was like, showed up in the middle of the city. Um, but you get it, sometimes they'll escape from the zoo, and it'll be a bear or something, and they'll be running around the streets. And so what do they do? They dart gun that thing, tranquilize it, stick it back in the cage, observe it, and see what's going on. Well, that's what we have to do with our thought lives, is this thought comes across my mind where I, like, panic all of a sudden. 
This thought comes across my mind. Oh, man, I am about to light this person up. This thought comes across my mind. Ooh, I should look at her again. And what I want to immediately do is dart gun that sucker and stick it in a cage. Because when it's in a cage, a ferocious animal is a tame animal, and I can examine it, I can dissect it, I can, I can study it, I can see what's really there. So the goal of this first part of the process is let me cage up that individual thought and let me dissect it, let me examine it, let me see what's really behind that thought and what's led to it. So I cage it, and then I question it. All right, where did this come from? Have you ever noticed, like, sometimes out of the blue, you'll just blow up, and it's like, I just blew up all of a sudden. There was, out of the blue, it was nothing. So that thought didn't just come out of nowhere. Right? Uh, I, I just got angry. It came out of nowhere. Uh, this is a great example. So, so often I'll end up getting mad at one of the kids, maybe even yelling, and Amy will very graciously just like, do you think maybe this has to do with what happened last night that you didn't resolve or deal with? And I'll be like, yeah, you're probably right. You know, that the kids did, there was some, something disrespectful or there's some issue. I didn't deal with it, and I harbored it, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it blows up. What's the origin of these thoughts? And we want to explore that. The second thing we want to kind of drill into is what are the details? So when this thought happened, how did I respond? What did I say when I was angry? What came out when I was worried? What was I worried about? When is this happening? Who is this happening around? What are the circumstances or areas that are attached to it? And I want to drill down into the details of these thoughts and where they're coming from. And then the last piece, you want to broaden it from the specific details of the moment to the broad details of the scope of the issue. And so are there other people that you get worried around? Are there other circumstances or areas where worry touches? Do you get angry in one particular area deeply? Do you get angry in a lot of areas that are attached to that? And so what is the scope of this issue? And so I want to take the thought captive, and I want to, I want to take the thought captive and I want to examine it and dissect it and get as much detail on it. Because our thoughts can be these ferocious animals that run through our lives and tear stuff up, or they can be tamed and caged and examined and understood. And from questioning it, we go one level deeper. Let's dig deeper into that issue, into that area, into that problem. And as we dig deeper, what I want to know is what's beneath the events, what's beneath the behavior, what's beneath the... What's in the heart? What's the worship or the want? So I might ask myself questions like, um, what does this say about God? So when I feel the need to control the world and I get worried when I can't keep everything spinning, what am I saying about God? God isn't in control, or God's not doing a very good job with his control. And all of a sudden I realize that's, that's a bigger statement than I thought when I just feel I have the need to be in control of this little area of my life. Um, or when I worry or when I get angry, what am I saying about God? That I'm God and my rules are being violated and my kingdom is being overthrown and wrath is, is the appropriate response. I don't want to say those things. And then what am I saying about me? Is it saying about me that I'm on my own and have to figure this out? I'm on my own. I have to control the world. Am I saying this is about me and that my laws need to be obeyed? 
I need to be honored. I need to be glorified. What does it say about God? What does it say about me? Another question, what is out of line with Jesus' word and Jesus' work? What's out of line with Jesus' word and Jesus' work? What doesn't line up with the gospel out of this? Um, And so you might start thinking, is there a lie that has crept in uh, to this? Is Is there a lie that has crept into my thinking? So it's, is it true or is it a lie? Is it false? And it's harder than you think. Because so often as Christians, we can have gospel, and then we can have this Christianese we put beside it. And so it's kind of moral, and it's kind of biblical, and it's kind of true, but it's off-centered, it's off-balanced. It's not quite the gospel. And so when those two things are side by side, it's just really hard to discern. And so is there a lie? Is there something that doesn't measure up to Jesus and his work that's part of this thought process, this behavior? Or is there an accusation that's part of this behavior? Right? The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin to point us to Jesus. Satan accuses us of sin to drive us to guilt, to drive us to away from God. And so am I, is my thought process an accusing thought process as opposed to a gracious convicting one? Or is my thought process got temptation? Is there temptation in my thought and behavior system that's a part of that? Those don't line up with Jesus. Those don't line up with the gospel. And then the last question, there's more. This is just trying to get you started down the path. How does it fail the good news standard? How does it fail the good news standard? The good news standard is God is exalted to be lifted up. People are to be built up and cared for and loved. And I am to be encouraged, exhorted, and built up. And so... Does it pass the good news standard? Where does it fail the good news standard? Where does it make God smaller versus bigger? Where does it make people tools to be manipulated or used or to serve me? Where does it tear them down? And then where does it also tear me down? That's where we, we dig deeper. And the ultimate goal of kind of phase one, the ultimate goal is that we want to identify or uncover our idols and desires. We want to uncover our idols and desires here. So that's the goal of walking from what's happening down into our heart is what's my heart latched onto that it wants or that it's worshiping. And usually it's going to be in the realm of comfort or respect or pleasure or people or myself or possessions, different things like that. Uh, there is a section in your notes called questions to consider. Those aren't ones we're going to go through in the study. They're just ones to help you go a step further at home, questions that will take you one level deeper. And if you look at the back of your notes, you'll notice there's an appendix. Um, It's called x-ray questions. And there's three pages of of questions designed to pull out the heart and what's the heart latching onto and wanting and and worshiping. And so I would definitely encourage you to take advantage of that. So the first step is we're going to take thoughts captive and we're going to examine them. That's Psalm 131, verse 1. But then the second phase of this is I want to consider the fruit. Consider the fruit. Psalm 131, verse 2. In the real psalm, it says, so I have calmed and composed or quieted my soul. My soul's quiet. It's tranquil. It's peaceful. It's like a weaned child on its mother. It's like a baby that just ate. But the anti-psalm, why would we need this? Because generally, we're worried, we're anxious, we're trying to control things that are beyond our control. So, of course, our souls are super noisy. There are all kinds of loud 
They're like that baby when when they begin to get hungry. They start moaning and fussing and making making some noise. And if you don't feed the baby, the noise level goes up. And when it goes up, there's crying. And then if they don't eat, there's another noise level. And they continue to get louder and louder and louder until the need is met. And that's the way our souls function, is they're going to get loud enough till they're actually dealt with what's going on, until we get to the place where we deal with our souls. And so we want to consider the fruit. We want to consider, is it noisy and noise-creating, or is it quieting the noises of our, of our heart down? Right? We want to get to the place where our souls are composed and calmed and quieted, as opposed to noisy, like a baby that's crying. Because you know one of the worst things that can happen is a baby will eventually get to a point of they are so hungry and it's not met that they quit crying. And that's the worst thing our soul can possibly do is to go quiet because it's neglected versus quiet because it's met with the Lord. So, simple point here. All we want The goal is this. I want to evaluate my fruit and my experiences of, for my way or for God's way. I want to evaluate my my fruit of my thought life and my experiences to see uh, what is my way and what's God's way. And so what fruit will be produced if I continue in this thought? It's the Galatians 5 kind of thought. What fruit will be produced if I continue in this thought or this thought continues into an action? I want to evaluate down the road. And so um, (laughs) we've probably experienced the sinful fruit. If I get angry, it does this to my relationships. If I worry enough, it does this to my body and this to my sleep and um, this. But if you think about it, if I could, if I could, if I could see clearly in the moment where my sin is taking me, my sinful thoughts are taking me. I'd never do that. Right? If I, if I knew that, uh, say, a lustful thought would lead to dishonoring a marriage and, and ruining a reputation and hurting the people around me and, and breaking the hearts of people that care for me. We'd never do it. And yet every day people miss that. So where would this go, this thought in, into action? And then on the positive side, where would it go if it were filled with the Spirit and becoming more like Christ? It would look like love and it would look like joy and it would look like peace and patience and kindness. It would build relationships and not tear relationships. It would build uh, the quietness of my soul. It wouldn't tear it away from from me. Right? Um, and so would the works of the flesh show up if I continue down this path? Jealousy and envy and worry, lust, greed, anger. Would that stuff come up? Or would love and joy and peace come up? Consider the fruit of this direction, the direction of this thought, which then leads us to the third phase, the third step. We want to bring uh, our thoughts into submission to Christ. Bring our thoughts into submission to Christ. So the goal of phase one was what's hijacked my heart, right? (laughs) My worship or my wants. The goal of phase two is I want to see the fruit and the experiences. Am I going God's way and becoming like Jesus, or am I going my own way? Well, the goal of phase three is this. I want to replace my idolatry with worship of the true and living God. Every idol of our life must eventually bow to Jesus Christ. And so uh, that's the question that I'm I'm asking here. That's That's what I'm walking through. And so Psalm 131, verse 3, the final part. O Israel, 
hope in the Lord. So you see, their soul isn't quiet because they had enough willpower to say, soul be at peace, soul be quiet, soul love, soul joy, soul don't worry anymore. That is not how they composed their soul. That's not how they killed the pride in their life so that they're humble people. How did they do it? Because underneath their soul's quietness, underneath their behavior of humility and concern for others and and being able to just trust the Lord instead of strive after controlling everything is this simple foundation. Their hope is firmly rooted in the Lord. And you notice this, it's not just my hope in the Lord. He's now brought a community into it because we are meant to do this in community community hoping, community quieting their souls together and being part of that process, community becoming more and more humble and concerned of of others versus using others. But we're far too familiar with the anti-psalm. We're far too familiar with our hopes have been scattered all over everything. Our hope is scattered into a relationship, and so of course I'm worried and fretful because I don't have it. Or I'm on top of the world because I do. But I'm a little worried I'll lose it. Uh, of course I'm worried because I have to keep all these plates spinning and if they don't, everything will fall apart. Right? Of course I'm angry. And rightfully so. My kids owe me obedience. They exist to serve me. Right? Um, and so our goal is to replace that, to, to move from scattered hopes to hoping in the Lord, the God of covenant. And so... What is true about God and Christ and what's true about me? Just some statements here, and it's nowhere near exhaustive. But as we repent from something, we repent to. And so God is holy and perfect, and Jesus lived perfectly. So if I feel the need to perform for God and to have a performance-based Christianity that's built on rules for acceptance, I can repent of my, of my, tri- my self-righteousness, and I can repent towards the God who is holy and whose son was holy and perfect on my behalf. And I can rest in that. Oh man, how much weight is off our shoulders on that? God is powerful. That is, he's sovereign over all things. He's sovereign over the space dust at the end of the universe, just as he's sovereign of the atoms inside your body. God is in control, and he's really good at his job, and he's not giving it up to us. So there's two truths on this list that I want to pair side by side because it could be a really terrifying thought if we don't know God very well. If we don't know God very well, then God is in control and he's waiting to zap me when I get out of line. God is in control, but I bet he really wants to crush me with some life circumstances because I kind of deserve it. God is in control, but he's kind of scowling. Well, a sovereign God who is like that, that's scary. But I want to pair that with the truth that God is love and God is good. And so when you put a God who is in sovereign control of all things beside a God who loves you and gave his son for you, how he did not freely give you everything, then you have a God who is in control of everything and loves you. A God who is in control of everything and is good. And so what we know is that he will exercise his control of the world for our good. He'll exercise his control of the world for his love to form the purpose of us being like Jesus he will exercise control of the world to hold us up no matter what this world brings and what this world faces because the world is a scary place it's out to get us it's out to kill us there's all kinds of diseases roaming around everywhere 
and wild animals. There's a God who is in sovereign control of the universe who loves you. And he is ordaining and orchestrating the world to make you more like Jesus, to find a greater hope and a greater joy that sustains you in himself. You can repent of you trying to control the world into a good God who rules it himself. You can repent of feeling like you have to perform to be loved and into a God who loves you. You can repent of a view of God that says he's distant or absent or, or, or out to get you to a God who loves you and is good to you. And that's the kind of stuff you can rest in. God is for you and he's not against you. God is for you and he's not against you. Romans 8 is a great chapter to go dig into that. If you have a sense that God is out to get you or that God is removed from you, then it's a great opportunity to repent and realize God's for me. God's present with me. I am not an orphan. I'm not alone. I don't have to figure this out on my own. God is present. And there will never be a moment or issue of my life that I ever face that he's not present with me in the middle of it. I'm loved, adopted, accepted. These are also things that are true about me. And so as I replace this idolatry, it's not a dirty word to say repent. Repentance is like, hey, I'm headed the wrong way. And if I keep going the wrong way, I'm going to get further and further and further from where I want to be. But if I repent, if I turn around and head in the right direction, I'm going to get closer and closer to home, closer and closer to my goal. And so when we repent, all it means is I'm beginning to move towards the God whose presence is the fullness of joy, towards the God who loved me and sent his son, towards the God who, who accepts me. So when, when I repent, that's what I'm doing. Again, there's some questions to consider. I would just encourage you to, to walk through those, to take this phase one step deeper. So I want to take the thought captive and examine it. Don't let it run around like a wild animal in your heart anymore. I want to consider the fruit, the outcome. I want to um, bring the thought into submission to Christ. I want to repent from and repent to, to embracing what is true about God. And then lastly, I want to fight with gospel truths. I want to fight with gospel truths. And so the goal is that I'm armed for this known area in my life daily. I'm armed for this known area in my life. So I've worked through this process. When when this struggle comes up again, because it will, this will be an ongoing process that hopefully gains increasing victory in your life, but the victory won't be all at once. And so when that thought starts to crop up again, oh, I know where this is coming from. I know the heart behind this. Here's the gospel truths I fight that with. And so I've armed myself with what is true about God and true about, true about Jesus that attacks to the heart of these things. And so I'm ready for the daily battle now. I don't have to go through the whole process every time. I can simply come to the place where I know you. I know you, temptation. I know you lie. I know, I know you worry. Let's go back to what's true again. And so here are some things that are true. Jesus' sinless life means it's his performance and not mine. It's his performance and not mine. Jesus' atoning death, guilt and shame, have been handled at the cross. And so his guilt rages across my life. I can remind myself again that Jesus lived and Jesus died on a cross for my sins. Praise God, I'm forgiven. Guilt is dealt with. I don't have to carry it anymore. I get to run back to Jesus and confess and he'll cleanse me again and again and again. He'll forgive me again and again and again. Um, I can remind myself of Jesus' resurrection. We have new power to overcome stubborn sin. One of the most defeating things is the thought, oh, I blew it again in this area. 
there is no hope for me to change. There is no hope for me to have victory in this area of my life. I'm just this way. The resurrection of Jesus Christ says otherwise. He rose again from the dead, and the same power that rose him from the dead operates inside your life. There is no such thing as impossible to change. There is no such thing as something that cannot be grown and gained increasing victory over. Jesus' return, everything will be right one day, and everything will be all right in the end. If you think about your life with as much suffering as will come into it, it is a speck of time in the ocean of eternity. In eternity, everything's going to be the way it's supposed to be, and there won't be hurt. There won't be betrayal. There won't be broken relationships. There won't be financial strains. There won't be uh, anger. There won't be the struggle with sin. Everything will be right. It's the way it's supposed to be. And it's a really good eternal ending. You can endure with hope today. Jesus is coming back. Put on the whole armor of God, specific meaningful truths to the specific areas of your struggle and of your life. And so in your daily Bible reading, one of the things you're doing now is you're arming yourself for the day's battle. You're in a war whether you like it or not. You're in a war for your mind to be controlled by the goodness of Jesus and the gospel, not by worry, not by anger, not by lust, and not by guilt. And so as you read your Bible now, you're arming yourself. You're creating the biggest armory you possibly can create and stocking as many weapons in there as needed for the daily fight of faith. And your daily Bible reading is now stocking your armory. It's filling your life with truths that speak of the goodness and the greatness of God and the truth of who you are in Him. And so, let me just encourage you to take every thought captive, put it in a cage and examine it, what it is all the way down to the heart. Consider the outcomes, the, the fruit of this thought into, into action consciously repent bringing it specifically to bow before Jesus Christ and the truths of who God is and then arm yourself daily to fight the fight of faith with truths of the gospel of Jesus and what he's done that's what we're up to let me hit real quick these applications um, and then obviously you're at home so you won't be able to do some of these but there's questions obviously for application so what I want you to do is you've had four to six journal entries at this point. I want you to take those, and I want you to maybe take a piece of paper and write and make four columns. So at the top, you're going to write one of the problematic thoughts that's a theme. I would take the biggest one first. And in column one at the top, you're going to write dissect it. And this is where you're going to evaluate it. You're going to look at origin. You're going to look at details. You're going to look at scope, and you're going to define the situation. In column two, you're going to put diagnose it. And in column two, diagnose it, you're then going to look at, okay, what is going on in my heart or what is potentially going on in my heart? What's hijacked my heart to get me to this place? Some of the questions in the, in the back as well as some of the questions in the notes themselves will help you get there. Column three, you're going to write repentance. And you're going to repent from your first list to the things that are true about God that are specific to. And again, I don't want you to think of this as negative and I beat myself up and I feel guilty. No, repentance is I'm going to get his head in the right direction again. I'm going to see what is good and right about God in these areas as opposed to what I'm living in. Um, and then the last column, I want you to write comfort. 
comfort. And this is where I'm going to take what is true about God and how does it give me grace? How does it give me encouragement? How does it give me hope and comfort? Right? And so I'm going, to, I'm going to put a comfort column where the truth of God, the truth of Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and return, the truth of um, how he's forgiven me through this process, the truth of how he loves me and is for me in this process, I'm going to write it down there and I'm going to be comforted by it. I would encourage you to do that with at least two of the themes that you've run into your life. And then the last application is simple. In the back of the notes are x-ray questions. There's 34 of them. What I would like you to do is I would like you to work through five of those in writing. So just take the first five, answer those questions in writing. It can be short, it can be long, whatever you want, but take at least five and write those out. That's your homework for the week. You won't have to turn it in. You won't have to share it with anybody. But I do want you to do those to keep this process moving forward practically. Um, And remember this. Remember this. This is not just what I do for myself and my thoughts. It's what I do for my friends. It's what we want to see each other doing in microgroups. It's what we want you to see doing over lunches and coffees and play dates. It's what we want you to, to, to see us doing for each other. I'm listening well to the person. <laughs> I'm, I'm, their words are capturing thoughts, and I want to take those thoughts captive. And so a few examples we've run into. had some meetings with several brothers in the past a little while and uh, kind of dealing with ministry issues and what kind of ministry they should do and um, kind of the same issue came up. One, it was about a 10-minute conversation and I just feel guilty because I used to do this. I just feel guilty because, you know, these people, um, I, I, I used to do this with these people. I just feel guilty because I used to serve in this area. Well, that's a huge buzzword. Wait, you feel guilty for something that God did not say is wrong. You feel guilty because your schedule and life doesn't allow you to do something you can do. Help me understand this. Where do you think that guilt's coming from? Do you feel guilty in other areas of your life? What do you think's going on? Is guilt a part of your a regular part of your story? Uh, where do you think that comes from? And so there it is. Second brother, same thing. I feel like this this has given me so much that I need to do something back. I just feel guilty if I don't. Well, wait. Guilt doesn't sound like the gospel as far as a motive to to make a decision. And so, listen to your friends. Help your friends capture their thoughts. You know, listen to your friends and see what might be going on in their hearts. Help them consider directions and fruit and what's going on. Help them bring themselves back into submission to Jesus and to live with gospel armor and gospel weapons to keep fighting. It's for your soul. It's also for them. Thanks.